Welcome to the Suicide Prevention and Awareness Podcast, part of CBP's Shine a Light Suicide Prevention Program. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Matt, a supervisor for CBP Watch, and Dr. Kent Corso, a clinical psychologist specializing in suicide prevention. Matt discusses how he deals with suicide in the workplace as an EMT and a supervisor with CBP Watch. Hi, and welcome to our monthly podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today and to our guests for being with us. Just a few caveats before we get going. I am a clinical psychologist, so I am a doctor, but I'm not the doctor for our guest. This isn't therapy or counseling, nor is anything we talk about today going to involve or constitute medical advice. This is just a conversation. Another disclaimer is that suicide is a difficult topic to talk about. It's not one that we can discuss vaguely or indirectly if we hope to make a difference. So for our listeners out there, we are going to have a frank conversation today. If by any chance you have lived experience or you are triggered, if anything we discuss is upsetting or distressing to you, please reach out for help. Reach out to those who care for you and love you and reach out to those who you love. If you're a CBP employee or family member and you need help, you can always contact a peer support member, chaplain, or veteran support member. Or you can reach out to our employee assistance program. If you are not a CBP employee, you can always call 1-800-273-8255, which is the National Suicide Lifeline. Today, our guest is Matt. Thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, like you said, my name's Matt. I work at headquarters in Washington, D.C., and I work at the CBP Watch. I have about 15 years of service with U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And when you and I were talking in preparation for this podcast, Matt, I was struck by a number of things that make suicide prevention relevant to you. Do you want to start out by sharing any of those things that, that make suicide a priority for you? Sure. Well, as you know, as we spoke when we first met, prior to working for CBP and still currently in a part-time basis, I work as an emergency medical technician. And I've always found myself to be more of a clinician uh, than, than really a Leo because I've been doing that longer. And what I found in the agency is there's a lot of signs and symptoms that you could kind of tie back to medical for a lot of these things. And what I mentioned to you specifically was knowing what everyone's baseline was on how they are in a normal capacity versus when there's additional stressors and additional problems happening in their life. Okay, so break that down for us a little bit. As an EMT, talk to us about baseline in order to understand. Sure. Well, just like anything else, your baseline is where you normally are on a day-to-day basis. You think of things like your blood pressure and your blood oxygen saturation in your blood. And what you find is, is you, you start doing kind of like a trend analysis. And if you look at people's mental health in the same way, what you can handle on a day-to-day basis kind of bounces up and down a little bit, but is usually about the same. But when these huge events occur or something extraneous happens, that's what really will begin taxing people. But understanding that pe- everyone's levels of what they can handle are much different depending on their background, their past experiences, things like that. That's a really helpful comparison, Matt, because what you're saying is it's less important as an EMT for you to compare your, let's say, the patient you're working with 
it's less important for you to compare their blood pressure with someone else's or against some norm, but rather, how are you relative to yourself? Is that right? Yeah, exactly. We're taught in school when you go through the, the basic training of what is quote unquote normal as far as someone's vitals. What I always ask patients is what's normal for them? Is, is this normal for you? Do you normally run a little higher? Mm-hmm. And that, that way it's really, you're able to, to really kind of figure out what's different about today while you're standing in their living room with the ambulance outside. Got it. And so then if we crosswalk that to suicide prevention, what I hear you saying is that it's no different than suicide prevention. People need to, number one, understand their own baselines so that they can recognize when they are different. But also, we need to be paying attention to each other so that we understand what each other's baselines are in order to know when we should say something, right? There's that old idea that if you see something, say something. How do we know when that time is now? Absolutely. I I agree with you 100%. I see. So let's talk about your role in the watch. I mean, it's very much data-driven. You're consuming information all day, every day. And so that means you're also on the front lines in a way of consuming events that are potentially traumatic, events including suicides, mass casualties, am I understanding you? Yeah, absolutely. All, all significant incidents that occur within CBP or have any nexus to CBP come through the watch. So everything from, like you said, uh, large-scale disasters and, and employee incidents come through here, and we're able to see and kind of collect the data on on those things when we brief it out to executive leadership. And there have been times in the past, Matt, you and I actually got to know each other because of these times in the past where you would, you or your colleagues would reach out to me and say, hey, Dr. Corso, do you think this is something or do you think this is related to something else? I have really appreciated that because, again, it's going to take all of us doing something that's unique to to our skill set or our role or our place within this organization. It's going to take everyone doing at least one thing uh, to reduce suicide. So I have really appreciated that. How does your unique perspective as an EMT dovetail with that role in the watch regarding suicide? Well, I, I look at it as there's some sort of illness, there's something going on that that requires a repair. And when you start seeing an employee begin backsliding and doing things, increasingly risky behavior, th- stuff that's out of the norm for them, they're, they're not handling that, that illness or whatever the problem is the right way. Mm-hmm. Most of us that, that work for the agency know that we need to be responsible. We have, we have an authority. We carry badges and credentials and firearms. Mm-hmm. And we don't normally do things that are those risky behaviors. We know that we're not supposed to consume alcohol and drive a car. We know we're not supposed to consume alcohol and carry a firearm. But as mm-hmm. people begin to not address the, the underlying issues, these, these incidents occur. And then the result is that, that DUI or that arrest or the, unfortunately that, that suicide. And, and I think to myself, when I read these reports, the ones that I've, I've flagged for you and said, hey, look, look at the, the telltale signs that were in here. Look at, look at the details of what happened here. And what we can do as an agency to recognize those signs better, you know, we, you keep hearing the reoccurring narrative, if you see something, say something, but being really to, able to more articulate what specifically are those, those signs. You know, I, I, I think about working shift work for 15 years and when you're stressed out after a long day or a long shift, a lot of people will, will wind down by consuming some alcohol, myself included. 
But if you find someone that's increasingly drinking more and more and more, why are they doing that? If they're talking about it specifically that they that they drink, you know, a lot or they've been drinking more. You know, we've been going through a really tough time these last these last couple of years and and people have really changed a lot of their behaviors because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, because of the change and 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 what we've been going through as an agency sure. and how are how are people dealing with those things? You know, consumption of alcohol, inability to sleep, taking things to help them fall asleep, then they're having mm-hmm. trouble waking up, so then they're drinking caffeine to wake up. Mm-hmm. I, I think those are all kind of signs that we need to start that that people can look at not only to others, but also themselves, trouble sleeping, and then, mm-hmm. and then just other loss. You know, everybody's got family, friends, they lose someone, and some people have a really, really hard time moving forward with that. And right. it's unfortunately, we've experienced where one employee loss turns into more employee issues, and it's, and it's very unfortunate. I appreciate your perspective there, Matt, because what I'm starting to think about as you describe this is that suicide prevention could be run in a similar way to intelligence operations, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. You, you, you collect the data points, you look for trends, and then based off that, you can make some actionable decisions, maybe proactively, hey, this occurred, and what are we going to do to react to that in, in more of a forward-leaning stance? So it sounds like what you're saying is if we can use some of the data available to us to predict or anticipate potential problems, we could conceivably send out teams in advance to sort of stabilize something that looks like it's becoming unsettled or looks like it's unraveling a bit or or becoming different than its baseline, whether that's a whole station, an AOR, a field office, a port, or, or maybe just uh, even for like an emission support sense of an office. Yeah, sure. Using the data to look at, hey, we, we've seen a spike in, in incidents here and this maybe this shift or this team or something along those lines. Look at the historical data, what happened, and can we stop that ball, as you said, from unraveling? Kind of intervene before somebody gets hurt, somebody somebody gets killed, somebody commits suicide, or we have other some other type of uh, irreversible event that affects someone's life or career. One of the things that is on my mind, Matt, is the number of suicides we've had this year and last year within CBP and more recently out of the, let's say, uh, 80% of suicides, we'll see some sign if we're watching. 20%, we won't see the signs for various reasons that we've talked about on other podcast editions. But among that 80%, we within CBP are trained, but that doesn't mean the family members are. And three out of the last four suicides, it was family members who were shown the signs but didn't know they were signs. So do you have any thoughts about that um, based on this idea of predicting, trying to do extra training, trying to respond before a crisis happens? Well, it's it's tough when it comes to family members because maybe they saw something and and this kind of comes back to that baseline again where, where well, in the past, you know, he, he was stressed out from work. And he he drinks a little bit more when he's having a bad week. Well, is that is that normal baseline, or is that he's trying to cope by consuming more alcohol than usual, or that employee all they do on their days off is just sleep to try to catch up? I think one of the the big things that we could do is as a supervisor is is be informed and know what that kind of like that rough baseline is with those employees, 
And you could tell, I mean, I've been a supervisor for several years now. You could tell when someone is having a rough week, when they're, they don't seem like they've been sleeping well. And you got to just ask them, hey, how are you? What's going on? Everything okay? How's your mental health? You know, I ask those questions on a medical call. I ask, even if someone twists their ankle, I ask them how their mental health is because it gives you a good idea of how they're thinking. And it's kind of an open-ended question. It doesn't allow them to give you a yes or no answer. It also sounds like what you're saying is maybe there's a role for family members here because it's the family members who may observe the CBP employee sleeping excessively or moping around or drinking excessively, or again, doing things that are out of character. So when we think about this idea of preventing suicide by collecting more data and having sort of an intelligence approach, one of the key players here is the family of the employee, right? They could be a very valuable source of information to help inform us about things that we'll never see on the job because hopefully people aren't drinking on the job or sleeping on the job, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the, the ways that maybe you know, supervisors and teams could kind of bridge that gap is trying to make an effort to do things where family members meet other employees to kind of open up mm-hmm. those lines of communication. Mm-hmm. We spend majority of our lives in these offices, ports and stations, and some people have never even met their their coworker, spouse or, or, or family, you know, getting more involved, maybe that opens up those lines of communication to where that spouse will reach out to that other officer and say, hey, uh, you know, my spouse hasn't been, he's seemed off. How's he seem at work? Is, is that employee, how's things been for him at work lately? Is he working on 10 different projects and he's mm. understaffed because right. he comes home and he doesn't want to talk about work. And as soon as he gets home, he just cracks open a bottle and just starts drinking all night and says he doesn't want to talk about work. Those, those are things to consider, you know, working in the headquarters sphere. This is, this is very high stress, high energy place to work. Uh, most folks that come here are you know, they, they come from the field and they're here because they want to excel in their careers and they sacrifice a lot for that opportunity. And so a lot of people I see in DC are working extra, extra, extra hours, working late, coming in early, days off, weekends. They're glued to their phone 24-7 and they don't really have that time to go, as I say, go 10-7 and, and really go off duty where they're they're not looking at that work phone. They're not looking at that laptop because they're concerned that if they are perceived as, as being lazy or not part of the mission, that their career down the road is going to suffer. And the reason that they came to HQ in the first place is they want to continue excelling in their career. Right. And let's be honest, followers follow what their leaders do. And if they see their senior leaders at a headquarters level constantly answering emails or sending emails throughout the night, all hours of the day, they're going to emulate those behaviors, right? Because the perception is, that's what I need to do to excel. That's what I need to do to to really achieve the highest that I can achieve. Oh, absolutely. And we actually rewrote our uh, our immediate initial notification protocols here. Uh, we were calling leaders in the middle of the night for things that, while significant, I asked myself, what are they doing with this information in the middle of the night? And, and, and certain things, yes, we're always going to call on some of our most serious things, but these leaders, some of them are working 12, 14, 16 hour days, several days in a row, TDY, short travel trips, coming back home. And do we need to call this person at three o'clock in the morning and wake them up and interrupt that, that precious sleep that they're getting? Then the next morning they come in with a full plate of things to do. So we were able to revise that 
And I keep pushing for people to say to themselves, you know, it's okay to be off duty sometimes. It's really prioritizing people's sleep, their well-being over something that tends to be routine and um, maybe we have done it out of precedent, but we question precedent sometimes, don't we? When, when we realize that maybe how we've been operating is actually perpetuating a problem, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If someone's going to say that we're going to do this because we've, we've always done it that way, that's one of the first flags for me to say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to change that. I was listening to your earlier podcasts of how we were compared to the NYPD, but our numbers are, are way higher percentage-wise. So right. it's, I think it's a combination of things. It's the type of work we do. It's the austere environments, folks moving hundreds or thousands of miles away from family to, to take this job. It's, there's a lot of sacrifices that, that go into play here. And you look at the data about supervisors. Supervisors are, are really the representatives of the agency to, to the to the line agents and officers to the guys in the union and they're they're getting it from their they're getting the complaints from their their guys and the, their guys and gals and they're also getting the complaints and the orders from people above them so they get some of the most pressure it's one of the h- hardest jobs in the agencies being a supervisor I imagine that some of our listeners hear that there's a bit of a mixed feeling about that. On one hand, supervisors may have more privilege, more power, more authority, but on the other hand, that comes with a lot more responsibility. So just to be clear, we have had an increase in the last two years in suicides among supervisors. In fact, they are overrepresented by about 400%. Supervisors make up about 17% of our workforce, but they make up about 53% of the suicides we've had in the last year or two. I appreciate you bringing that up, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think when you and I spoke last week, I said, I understand why we have more supervisor suicides than um, journeyman level suicides. And it's because of those pressures, the pressure to constantly be available to, to take those calls, to come in, to cover as you mentioned, 17%. So when there's a when there's a call out, it's a smaller cadre of folks that can cover those shifts. A lot more changing tours of duty and coming in on days off. And then again, the pressures of people below you, you have much more responsibility. And then the pressures of folks above you, subjects in our custody, we have to deal with with health and safety issues, union grievances, whether they are are legitimate or or not. Those are all contributing factors to the stress of a supervisor. And you're a supervisor yourself, right? Absolutely. And I've dealt with pretty much every one of those things that that I discussed uh, just a second ago. Including, as I understand it, knowing some of the people who have recently killed themselves. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, the saying goes is the longer you're in the agency, the smaller it gets. And Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, just off the top of my head, I, I know at least four uh, employees that committed suicide one way or another, whether they I knew them from the academy or they were a supervisor or I worked with them formally. Mm-hmm. And working in the watch, you know, you read the story when the when the report comes in and you see that you see the signs and the symptoms of of this pending doom. And it just it breaks my heart. Yeah, me too. It's it's uh, one of those problems, Matt, that doesn't have to be the way it is. There are many things we can do to help mitigate suicides, and it's a heavy lift. Well, we appreciate your unique perspective, Matt. Appreciate your suggestions, and thank you for being on our podcast. 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. This is part of our ongoing podcast series for suicide prevention and awareness. If you see someone struggling, say something. Asking them about suicidal thoughts may feel awkward, but you can help reduce suicide risk at home and in the workplace by tolerating that awkwardness. Simply ask, how can I help? And then just listen to the person. Make sure you ask them if they're thinking of ending their life. It really does make a difference. Thank you again to our guests. I really appreciate you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll speak to you again on our next episode.